the difference between life before Christ and life after Christ is that you get to live for and all about somebody way bigger than you and somebody that's actually worthy of worship. Welcome to the Soundwords Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe or even like this video to help us reach more people. And I'm Pastor Aaron Nicholson. I'm with Pastor Jesse Randolph. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Brian Murphy. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Dr. Murphy. Ah, it's my joy and privilege to be here. We're so glad to have you, and uh, for those of you who may not know Dr. Murphy, he is professor of New Testament at the Master's Seminary in Los Angeles, California. He's pastor-teacher of Roosevelt Community Church in Lancaster, California, where you've been teaching for 25 years, I think is what you said? Almost, yeah. Almost. 25. Married to Catherine, they have two children together, and you've taught Hebrew grammar courses in the past. I think you're You have recently taught Hebrew and maybe currently are teaching Greek exegesis courses. You're teaching New Testament courses. I learned you were a football coach. Uh, You love your family. You love the Lord. And we're just very glad to have you on today to talk about uh, how to honor Christ. So thanks again, Dr. Murphy, for being here. You bet. Dr. Murphy, um, it is so great to see you. Uh, We're doing this virtually via screen time or FaceTime, but you know you have played a profound role in my life, and I know the life of so many men who have come through the Master's Seminary. I was sharing a little bit offline with Aaron and with you how you have ministered to me in seasons of, of grief and, and trial. There have been times where you've not just been a professor, but pastor to me, and I know I'm not unique in that. I know that's been your role vis-a-vis many men and their families who have come through the seminary. So just want to publicly say thank you for the way you've impacted so many, not just through Greek and Hebrew and all the various fields of expertise you have, but just as a man of God who seeks to honor God and honor Christ in the way you minister. So thank you before we get rolling. It's really it's really a privilege to be of service to anyone, so Good. my privilege. Amen. Well, Dr. Murphy, one of the ways that you had an impact on me, and this might sound so um, small in, in a sense, is whenever we've parted ways. So I used to meet in your office for various one-on-one meetings. We've had phone calls, uh, emails, text, and the like. You would always end our conversation, whatever form it took with, hey, Jesse, have a Christ-honoring day. And that has resonated with me. It's stuck with me. I try to replicate it in various ways and various relationships. But I just want to ask you that question right off the bat. Maybe I'll start with this. Why, why have you done that? And do you tag your end of your conversations with that line? And then what does it mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to believers to have a Christ-honoring day and also just a Christ-honoring life? What does it mean to honor Christ? Yeah, so... So actually, we even we even close off. I I established a tradition. It it kind of caught on around here, closing off the service with that kind of a, a closing exhortation. Have a Christ honoring week, something along those lines. Uh, I've had people through the years ask me what's my favorite uh, passage in Scripture, and the answer is always the same. It's Romans twelve, and whatever passage I'm studying at the time. I I mean I I always get fascinated by the text. Um, some of the texts have been scary until I get into them, like a genealogy. How am I going to make a, a really powerful sermon out of this? Or how am I going to hold people's attention and help them see it in a genealogy? And then you get into it and you're like, oh my goodness, what I didn't think I would have more than five minutes to say about, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to fit it into the time. So every passage I study has just gripped me at some level. 
but the one passage that has kind of transcended, I guess, I guess all passages in a sense in informing me in my Christian life, it's Romans 12. And early on in my Christian life, I got saved believing that I was a Christian because I was raised in a denominational church, baptized as a baby, went through confirmation. I was an Eagle Scout and won the God and Country Award. And, you know, when I met my wife, she asked me if I was a Christian about a dozen different ways. And I said yes every time. And I asked her to marry me uh, three weeks later, and she said yes, but we had to go to her pastor's premarital counseling. Hmm. And in that context, he just started going through the Bible like I had never seen anyone do before. And when we got to Ephesians 5 and the role of a godly husband, it's husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I I thought about that driving home going, you know, I don't know very much about the Bible, but I do know that Jesus was perfect. And if I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church, that standard is a standard of perfection. I don't know that I can get to that, right? In fact, the more I thought about it, I realized even that night driving home, in fact, I remember looking through the windshield uh, in prayer that night and going, Lord, if that's what you're going to expect of me as a husband when I get married, do you have that same kind of an expectation of me in everything? Hmm. Uh, And so that shows you what a rocket scientist I am. (laughs) Uh, But that's the verse that really opened my eyes to the truth. From that point on, as I came to understand the gospel, I gave my life to Christ. I started to fully understand essentially what you find in Romans 1 through 11. And I can't remember exactly how I got exposed to like a survey of Romans 1 to 11. It must have been a MacArthur illustration, one of the tapes I listened to or something. But then when you get to Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul says, therefore, in view of God's mercies are on the basis of the mercies that God has shown to you in Christ, that you're in a no condemnation status, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ. Given that's the case, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so that kind of like unlocked the door of my heart, my mind to, to realize, you know what the Christian life is really all about? It's living today in a way that truly does honor God. I'm not doing anything that I do uh, in order to avoid condemnation, to avoid punishment, to avoid discipline. I'm not doing anything that I do in order to merit favor or uh, to get a reward. I'm just living my life as one great big thank you card to God. And I I would say that have a Christ-honoring day is a kind of an expression that, that for me says make honoring him the way that you dedicate yourself today because that's what I do, and I think that's really the secret to just pleasing God in a Christian life, having a Christian life that really matters, and every one of us can do that. So I'd say that's where the saying comes from and what I mean by it, and you are not the only one to to like gravitate to that kind of an expression and kind of borrow it and turn it into, I mean, saying hello or saying goodbye, uh, those are really cool and all, but have a Christ honoring day to me just expresses what I really would like to say to you. Um, that's what I'm trying to do today. And I'm Lord willing, that's, 
That's what I would extend to you. Amen. It's neat to hear that being passed on. I know a number of times that in your sermons you close, have a God-honoring week. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably where it came from, maybe. It's stolen. <laughs> totally it's stolen, stolen. Borrowed. <laughs> well, I'm sure that uh, I, I'm sure that I inherited it from many of my spiritual fathers putting all the pieces together. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Pass it on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Amen. Thank you for articulating the way you were saved. Uh, The Lord used Romans 12.1 to bring me to salvation too at 14 years old at a high school camp. Uh, I had realized I was not offering my life as a spiritual sacrifice to God. Hmm. And uh, so good to hear you articulate the same passage and how it hit you. Praise God for Romans 12. Agreed. So second question here for you, Dr. Murphy. Can you point to any men or women in scripture who have exemplified this Christ-honoring life, Christ-honoring day? So there's obviously Christ, right? And his demonstration is absolute perfection. The older I get, the more, and, and, and I always, from the beginning of my Christian life, I always loved Daniel. I still remember listening to MacArthur preach through all of Daniel. It was one of the greatest expositions of, uh, actually, of of all of the ones that he's done. Anyways, Daniel is an amazing guy, right? And uh, early on in my Christian life, I always wanted to have a life like Daniel because he's in a secular environment. And at that time, I was a computer programmer. And he's glorifying God in the midst of cultural challenges and social challenges and political and, and all of the kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, I want to follow those kinds of examples that that he's giving here. And then the older you get, the the more you realize, you know, out of all the guys in the scriptures, I mean, it's possible to see Joseph is really uh, like universally above reproach. But then I also remember learning from Dr. Barrick that the way that Joseph talks about being elevated above his parents hmm. is maybe not as... Uh, humble as what he could have been, and he might have contributed to a degree there. But Enoch, Daniel, and Christ are three tremendous, maybe even Joseph, are, are some examples that are really amazing to follow. But for me, it's guys like Peter, who uh, put his foot in his mouth numerous times, many times as he got commendation from Christ. It's um, David, who is a man after God's own heart and yet failed royally and yet was still preserved and continued to be useful to God. And you can see the impact uh, that that has in the aftermath of his life after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. But I, I think there are ways that you can learn from John being a son of thunder and turning into the apostle of love. I think you can see in pretty much uh, all the pages of Scripture, Elijah is a prophet of incredible character and courage, and then Jezebel threatens him and he runs and hides, right? So I think that there are really from cover to cover on the pages of Scripture— so many examples that we can learn from. In fact, if you read in um, 1 Corinthians 10, where it talks about all the things that God did in the Old Testament 
with the people of Israel. And he uses a number of examples right out of there from the wilderness wanderings, right? You've got the, uh, the Exodus 32 and the golden calf example and the grumbling, complaining, etc., and all those things. He says all these things happen to them as an example for us to learn from. So I think in the pages of Scripture, you have examples of, uh, that are worthy to follow and examples that are worthy to learn from. When I hit my mid-40s, I think Solomon was probably a major fascination for me because he was given more wisdom than anybody else that ever walked the planet. And together with that went authority, prosperity, and uh, insight, skill, the ability to learn and pursue all kinds of earthly pursuits. And while his life is characterized and what we always think about is you know all these women and all this money and the end result of his reign is the division of the nation the book of ecclesiastes that he wrote is probably the most profoundly applicable book in the whole bible to share with our western world and our contemporary context as far as the futility of life lived apart from God. So when you talk about people you can learn from in Scripture, I think there's a pile of them. And I've learned lots of things from lots of different people, yeah. uh, sometimes individual passages and sometimes from overall life stu- studies. That, that leads right into the next question I had for you, Dr. Murphy. I mean, you, you're, you're a pastor, you're a professor, you're training future generations of pastors. Um, you're a scholar, you teach Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek. You, you have a wealth of information and knowledge that the Lord has allowed you to amass over the years. How do you, with the roles that you have and the, the, the ministries that you have, bring it back down to the basics for you just to be ministered to by God's Word? What foundational biblical principles do you need to go back to in your personal life even to remember who you are in Christ, what it means to, to honor Christ in your personal life? Uh, because I could see how there might be even a temptation for those who, who think they've acquired much and gained much and, and know much, they, they can drift and they can, get, they can get full of knowledge. We know that even from a guy like Solomon, for instance. What foundational principles do you have to find yourself going back to to make sure you maintain that first love for Christ and that you're, you're seeking truly to honor Christ in each and every aspect of your life? Yeah, I I don't. <laughs> wow, I I don't see myself as a Solomon or as a, <laughs> uh, in any way uh, having arrived or having to worry about uh, stumbling or falling. I I mean, I know I'm a sinner, and yeah. uh, I know that I have the privilege of speaking for God every week when I stand up in the pulpit, when I stand up in classrooms, when I when I do like even a discussion like what I'm having with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know a better way to say it than this. When I prepare to preach every week, the thing that is my primary focus is not what I'm, am I going to say to everybody in the room? Okay. It's, do I have the text right? Is this in fact what God means by what he says here? Okay, or maybe I do have sometimes where I'm worried about what I'm going to say in the sense of this is just a list of names. But what drives me to chase down this genealogy and why is it here? God, why do you have this passage here in this flow of the narrative? And why is why is it that you say it this way? 
what is it that you mean? Because I want to make sure when I stand up and speak, I'm rightly conveying for you to your people and to everyone else in the room what you mean by what you say here. That concern for God's evaluation of what I say on his behalf is what drives me to work so hard and study so diligently to do my very best to rightly understand the text. Now, as soon as I come to understand the text, uh, Jesse, you know, we've talked about this before, that immediately what I'm trying to figure out is in what ways do I not measure up to it? Yep. In what ways do I need to change my own life to be lived in accordance with what I'm going to stand up and say on Sunday uh, we all need to do, right? Yep. I, I think that that genuine concern that you are living a life that honors God all day, every day, like like when I stand up to preach, and I mean this in the best way possible, I don't want this to come across the way it probably will be, but I don't care what, what anybody thinks. I, I, I don't care what the elders think about what I say. I don't care what the little old ladies think. I don't care what the youth think. I, I don't care what the big givers think. I don't even know who they are. Uh, I, I don't care what my wife thinks. Okay, I'm preaching ultimately to an audience of one. There's only one person I care what they think about what I'm saying when I stand up to preach, and that's God, because I'm speaking for him, and I'm going to answer to him based upon what I said, whether it's an accurate representation of what he says, right? When Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, because people are going to multiply people to hear their ears tickled. Okay, I'm not trying to tickle anybody's ears. I'm trying to declare the truth of God's word, because I want to answer to him for every word I say. Amen. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to answer to him for the life that I live too. And I've kind of have built into my life that kind of free um, accountability, if you will. And then like, like if you were to ask my wife the first eight, 10 years of our, uh, of my ministry here, what our Wednesday, Thursdays and Fridays were like, and she'll tell you, oh, well, <laughs> Brian would call me two or three times during the week as soon as he started to understand what the text is and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> and you know what? Because as I'm studying the text, I'm realizing, you know what? I'm sorry, dear. Forgive me because this was wrong in the way I said. It's just, it, I don't think if you're really trying to study the scriptures, not in order to do a job, but in order to speak for God. And if your focus is always on that and you're, you're learning the scriptures and then laboring diligently to live the scriptures, when you stand up and preach and teach it, you, you really are an instrument that's more useful in God's hands. And that continual repetitive process winds up, I think, what is your guide or your the guardrails of your life that keep you from going off track? Does that make That's sense? Well yeah. I mean, in a sense, it's still Romans twelve again, right? Right. For to me, or or maybe like the Philippians take instead. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I just want to live a life that honors God. I just want to make today the best act of worship that I can. You know, I've told you in the past that one of the things I did early on in my ministry as I as I was working through the put off put on process and I started counseling other people and how can I help them learn how to put off sin and put on righteousness and the, typically what would happen is it would start in an area of marriage or life or whatever and now what do I do pastor moving on for the rest of my life and I realized you know what 
in the same way that my prayer life is structured to start with uh, praying for different people and different circumstances and, and different roles and functions, I should be focusing my attention in kind of a recurring process in different areas of my life. So like you'll find on my to-do list every day, do an act of worship for my wife. And I don't know if I ever told you one of the early examples of this, but uh, I still remember the day that um, that I decided to start to put this into practice. And so every day, just as a service to my wife, I'm not going to tell her about it. I'm not going to, you know, ever mention it or anything else, but I'm going to look for one thing every day that I can do as an act of worship to Jesus Christ that's of service to my wife. So, like, I would empty the dishwasher before I headed off to church. I would... Um, uh, put the clothes away. Uh, I would sweep the floor. I would, uh, you know, just do something. I would look for something every day that I could do just above and beyond as a service to Christ that was of ministry to my wife. And I was, I was kind of a, you know, I got a little bit proud of myself because my wife, she noticed almost all of them, uh, and was thankful and, it was really cool. And then at one point she asked me to take the laundry down for her. And I noticed after a couple of weeks that it was, I think it was every Tuesday she was doing laundry at that point. We had littler kids, etc. So, so one day uh, it's Tuesday and I'm like, Oh, it's Tuesday. Oh, I know what I do. I'll take the laundry down for her. So I take all the laundry down and I head off to church. And when I get home, she goes, uh, and it's all stacked up there on the couches and everything all folded. She goes, okay, well, all your laundry is done. I don't, I hope it, uh, uh, I hope you're happy. Uh, I really didn't intend to do it today. And I'm like, well, what? Uh, I thought you always did laundry on Tuesday. I didn't, I didn't need anything. I was just trying to be helpful. And she's like, well, this was not the day this week. There's doctor's appointment, da, 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 but your laundry's done. And I still remember in my own heart. You know, you're talking about regular reminders yeah. and how to get a hold of things. I still remember the initial thoughts in my heart were something along the lines of, it's impossible to please her God. And, it, you know, this is just an, an unhittable target. And I picked up the laundry baskets and I'm halfway up the stairs and it, I start mentally thinking through, Brian, did you do this for you? For her or for God, because if you did it for God, even though it didn't go well for you and it, even though it wasn't actually a service to her, the fact of the matter is you just aren't as good at being helpful to your wife as what you think you are. And God knows what your heart is and you pleased him. Well, until you get to this grumbling, complaining attitude anyways. So maybe what you just need to do is work at being a better help to your wife and just ask her in advance. And so that's what I started doing. You know, I just started progressing. I, I, that's, Jesse, that's never not been uh, what I'm concerned about in my Christian life every day. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah. So yeah. as far as constant reminders, it's, I mean, I, I, I guess it's really more of just a life pattern. Yeah, and I appreciate the way you're you're describing evaluating your own actions and your own heart and constantly seeing if you're living a life of worship, uh, not to yourself, not to your wife, but to the Lord. And doesn't matter how long you've been preaching or or, or teaching, uh, this is still the process. Yep. 
And so I think that's an encouragement and a good exhortation to everyone who's listening. So another question then for you about uh, the biblical principles you're talking about, how does the world think about handling life, thinking through life, the decisions the world makes in contrast to the scriptures? Well, when you think about it, uh, I was saved at the age of 29. So up until that point, I lived for me. And it took me about six or eight months from the time I came to Saving Faith to the time that I was assured of my salvation. Because, listen, I I had a pattern of repentance for those first six months of my Christian life that drove my wife batty. Uh, we were married for several months, and finally my wife says, "Are you?" she would come home. She'd get home later than me. She'd come home, and normally we'd be doing dinner or whatever and, and uh, or go out to eat or whatever. And and she came home and she saw me sitting on the piano bench, uh, just weeping over my sin. And uh, she says, are you questioning your salvation again? I said, well, I just realized that I'm dishonoring God in the, this other area of my life, too. Now, of course, that meant that I threw all that stuff out again. Uh, so I was just going through that cleanup process in my life. Um and uh, she says, you're going to Pastor John. So <laughs> off we go to counseling. And um, when when we walked through First John together that night, and I realized, you know what? What has really changed in me is I never used to worry about what God thinks. Hmm. Before I was a Christian, I did do good things. I did do uh, good deeds. I did try to make up for things that I did wrong. I did recognize that I did things that were wrong. I was even sometimes sorry, not just about the way it was playing out, but that I had done it as well. There were times when I had wished that I could take it back because I was ashamed of it, but I never was overwhelmingly concerned with what God thought of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, I think fundamentally that's the difference. Mm -hmm. uh, my Christian life, I just want, I just want all day, every day, to please God. Now, I'm not flawless at it. I don't want to present it in any way, shape, or form like that. But that, that's that's the overarching uh, thought pattern, motivation of my life. I was a computer programmer when God saved me. And after I got saved, all of my ambitions about retiring at 45 or 50 at the latest, uh, my 401k and, you know, how I was going up the corporate ladder and all those kinds of things, what was important to me my whole life up to that point, all of a sudden became meaningless. I mean, it really was Ecclesiastes, right? It, yep. This, all of this works so that I can just, you know, goof off from the time I'm 45 on and just do whatever I want. That seems like a wasted life. And when I see all of the things that I get to do, uh, all of the lives that I get to impact, you know, Jesse, I think you started this podcast with thanking me for the time I spent with you. Uh, brother, it was as, as at least as much of a blessing for me to be able to be with you and to be of service to God and to you and to your wife in that context as I could have ever been to you. The fact that I'm allowed to serve God 
I mean, look, I know that in Scripture I'm told that in the past God used a donkey to speak for him, so he clearly doesn't need me. <laughs> uh, the last week before the cross, he he is entering into Jerusalem, and the religious leaders say, they hear the people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And they say, tell them to stop. And he says, if they didn't say it, the stones themselves would cry out. Okay. I know there's a bit of hyperbole there, but I also don't believe that God would have any problem making stones cry out. So God has used a donkey. He could use a rock. So he doesn't need me. Why does he use me? Because he is very gracious and willing to do it. I, I think the difference between life before Christ and life after Christ is that your life matters. Instead of living for you and everything being about what pleases you, what keeps you safe, what keeps you happy, what what is all about you, instead you get to live for and all about somebody way bigger than you and somebody that's actually worthy of worship. Amen. Amen. Building on that, Dr. Murphy, let's say somebody listening to this is maybe newer to the faith, just came to faith, uh, younger in the faith, and they're thinking through or wrestling through, what does it cost me? to be a, a faithful, Christ-honoring follower. Could you minister to them and speak to them a little bit about what, it, what will it cost one, a cost a person, to faithfully honor Christ with their life? I mean, the bottom line, the answer is it won't cost you anything. Uh, not anything worth anything, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it'll cost you everything and nothing. Um, I, like I mentioned, I thought I was a Christian. And it was, it was actually the book, The Gospel According to Jesus, that helped me see uh, a revelationally helped me to see not only was I not a Christian, I had never been a Christian and there's nothing I wanted more than to be a Christian and I couldn't do it. God was going to have to do it. And I went through all that and that was all a surprise to me. And when we went through in that book, uh, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus is talking to disciples, people who think they're already his followers, people just like I was at that point. And he says, Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Right? So if you want to be a follower of Christ, you got to deny yourself. Well, what's it mean to be to deny yourself? Well, it means you say no to you, and you take up your cross. Well, what does it mean to take up your cross? Well, in those days, everybody that picked up a cross wound up crucified on it. Right. So you got to say no to you, even if it costs you your life in the most horrifying way, and follow me, follow Christ. Okay. That's what it costs everything. There's a whole bunch of other passages. Jesus says, if a man loves father or mother, sister, brother more than me, he's not worthy of me, etc. Yeah. It's got to be the God has to be your primary relationship, your primary obligation, your primary love, your. Uh, your exclusive devotion and the one and only person that you worship. So it costs you everything. But what you get instead is priceless. It's uh, and eternal. I mean, we all love new stuff, right? We like getting new things for Christmas or whatever. So when you get that new thing, you really love it and it's awesome, but how long does it take usually before the luster is worn off? The first time you get a scratch on your car or truck, the first time 
you get a little uh, smudge on your uh, article of clothing, the fir- etc. Right? Yeah. Coming to Christ means that He is your God, your Lord, your Savior, the one who is your heavenly Father, the one who is your eternal King, uh, the one for whom you exist. Who, by the way, the more you learn about him, the more you realize, oh, actually, the amazing thing is that he gives any thought to us. Psalm 8 is is a pretty profound passage of scripture where David talks about creation and how big it is. And as he examines just how big creation is, and he goes, what am I that you take any thought of me? Hmm. See, but the more you learn about God, the more you know about God, the more you understand God, that just the bigger he is the more aware you are just how we use this word too loosely today, but he is truly awesome. He is the embodiment of what it is uh, to create on others. When you look and you go, Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, that's God. That's God. When you realize Psalm 50, when you're going through even the middle of that song where God addresses the nation of Israel and says, you're bringing me all these gifts and offerings. I'm not going to rebuke you because you're bringing gifts and offerings. You're bringing what I prescribed, but I'm not going to accept any of them. You want to know why? Because I don't need them, and you're offering them as though somehow you're contributing to my glory. Somehow you're contributing to to my sustenance. Listen, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I do not need your offerings. I do not need your prayers. I do not need your praises. I do not need anything from you. You are dependent upon me for everything. If I had a need, I wouldn't come to you. You are dependent upon me. You can't help me. You want to know what I want? When you're in trouble, call out. I'll rescue you. You give thanks. Okay. When you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you start to recognize how unworthy you are to belong to Christ. You start to recognize that all you gave up was dust and ashes to follow him. And what you get instead is an intimate personal relationship with Almighty God Himself as your Heavenly Father, not just as your Lord and Savior, not just as your Sovereign, but as your most intimate Father. You're going to find that living for Him is the most rewarding thing imaginable. My life matters when I take out the trash. My life matters. When I preach a sermon, my life matters when I defer to someone else. My life matters when I learn how to draw so I can spend time with my daughter. My life matters when I go ahead and get back into coaching. And some sometimes, you know, the services that we do for others wind up being such incredible blessings to us. It just you'll never outgive God. So when you say, Well, what does it cost? The answer is nothing. And everything. Dr. Murphy, for a listener who's hearing what you're saying and they're saying, I want that, I don't have that, what would you say to them? How can they receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Well, I think I think it's really as simple as what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Peter talks to a generation of people and in many respects to the same audience that 40 days earlier said, we want Barabbas. And when Pilate says, well, what do I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. 
to that same audience, basically, Peter stands on the steps in the temple in Jerusalem and calls them to account for what they've done and calls them to recognize what they've done, that you've rejected Jesus as Lord, and that was demonstrated to you most obviously right in your presence with all the miracles that he did and all the words that he proclaimed, and his resurrection demonstrates that's true. And they say, well, what do we do? He says, you need to repent, each one of you, and be baptized. And they get added to the church, and they spend the rest of their lives gathered in a church, continuing to progressively learn more and more of what Jesus taught, more and more what Jesus expects, and encouraging one another on to love and good deeds and seeking to live a Christ-honoring life. Listen, if you're sitting there and realizing I want that kind of a life. I want a life that matters. I want a right relationship with God. Do you recognize yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? Because there's no way, there's no way God will accept you coming on your own terms to Him. Because He is sovereign, almighty, and righteous, and there's nothing you can do to make up for even one sin, much less all of them. And there's, there's no DeLorean that will take you back to the past that enables you to try to live it again, you'll mess it up again, even if there was. So it's really a matter of coming to that place where you realize in your heart, I have sinned against you, O God, and there's nothing I want more than not just to escape hell, but to be reconciled to you and to live for you. And if that's you, if you recognize Jesus as Lord, dedicate your life to living for him, And in obedience, step forward and get baptized, get added to the church, dedicate yourself from that point on to learning scripture and putting it into practice for Christ and for his glory, not for your good. And then to join in the work as you become more equipped to sharing that same message with others. I think you'll find all of a sudden your life really, really does matter in a way it never has before. Thank you so much. Repent and believe in the gospel. And listeners, if you have any questions about what Dr. Murphy is talking about, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach out to us on social media. You can send us an email at questions at soundwords.org, and we'd love to chat further with you about the Bible and about salvation. So thank you again, Dr. Murphy, and thanks for your time today in uh, in sharing what a Christ-honoring life looks like and what it means. So thank you. Pastor Jesse, any other words? Final word, as always, goes to God and his word from 2 Timothy 1.13, where Paul says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. 